The Athletic. I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. Now then, are you a Mike Bassett? I know I am. It's not always 4-4 fudging too, but it's definitely a 4. It's always a 4. I can't even consider a world in which I don't play with a back 4. So RDF Tactics is coming in to teach me how to do a proper back 3. Plus, where can you watch Newcastle versus Liverpool in the League Cup final? More of that soon. And we're discussing the greatest right-back in the history of the game. Yes, that one. That's coming up in a brand new live score section later in the show. So, let's get cracking. RDF Tactics, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Now, for anyone who hasn't discovered your work, what exactly do you do all day? Just create tactics. That's literally what I do. <laughs> play football manager and create tactics. That's what I do for a living as well. And you've got some great stuff on, on YouTube. What, what kind of videos have you had recently? At the moment, it's kind of more of a guide rather than here's a tactic. So it's more of how do you create a tactic? So I'll pick a team, I'll look at the best players and I'll create a tactic designed around those players. And it's there to basically to help other people in their saves as well. They don't have to copy what I do, but they can pick ideas from me and hopefully it helps them create their tactic as well. I tell you what, sometimes just to have something that you know won't be terrible, <laughs> just to like get you into the game, because it's always a problem, isn't it? You dedicate, you know, six to eight hours to pre-season yeah. and, and forming your tactic and you're like, God, if this doesn't work, I've just... I really have wasted my time here. So it's sometimes brilliant just to have that thing that you know isn't going to be rubbish and then you can... Yeah, so I think you know, you've got a solid base, yeah. Yeah, you can alter it as you as you go along. Yeah. Now, look, I'm, I'm old, all right? <laughs> old people don't trust new things. And yes, <laughs> I am old enough to, con- uh, to consider the back three a new thing. I was brought up in the 4-4-2 years. I was sort of not entirely true. I did use a back three with Schalke, but I used it like Steve Bruce used it in a kind of, we're really terrible, so let's just clog up our own half and it will be all right. But that's not the only reason for a back three, is it? You, you can have very interesting back threes. For sure. And I think now the back threes are more, they seem more of a positive thing rather than trying to hide your technical ability, maybe. I think before people would use a back three defensively, now you can use a back three to look to control games. When you're setting up the roles, you wouldn't just have like a flat back three of defensive central defenders, would you? No, no. It would have to be a three at the back, then wing backs. Oh no, I can't have five defenders. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to the roles of those three in the middle, how do you usually set them up? I do love ball playing defenders. But now they've got the wide centre back, which is kind of designed for you to cover the wing back area. So I tend to go for at least one wing back a wide centre-back, sorry. I tend to have two very good ball defenders. Not necessarily the roles, but a central defender is good enough as well. But I have to have good technical defenders. With the wide centre-back, uh, this is one of the big things with FM22. When I used it just to mess around with it, it basically turned whoever was playing that role into a kind of vintage Sol Campbell with those sudden surging <laughs> yeah. runs out of, the, out of the box and across the halfway line. That's a good thing if you've got the right player, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also good to have balance. You also want to have cover. Make sure if your wide centre-back is gone, 
Maybe your wing-back is high up the pitch as well. It is possible you want at least a central midfielder or a defensive midfielder to be covering those two players, at least. Otherwise, if you get caught on the break, it could be a bit tense. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, <laughs> w- would you want one of the defenders to be a sort of old-fashioned sweeper and, and just sit deep and allow the other two to charge forward? Would that work or does that leave you too exposed? I think that's what you would go for to create balance. So you would have one centre-back kind of pushing forward and then you would have one centre-back also covering. I think that's kind of the perfect balance in the back three. And usually it would be the middle one covering either of the wide centre-backs. I don't think ideally you'd want both of the wide centre-backs to be pushing up at the same time. I always get caught in one of these little traps where I want my my covering defender. First of all, I think, well, this would be great for someone with no pace because he doesn't really have to move that much. He just has to sit back. And then I start thinking, well, actually, if he did have loads of pace, then I can push even more (laughs) people up because he'd recover. What would you advise there? I tend to look for anticipation and positioning, to be honest. Those would be the key because they would need to be in the right position in the first place and anticipation is there so they can read the game. I think from then, if that is really, really good, I'm not really concerned with the recovery pace. But if someone's really fast, then they don't need to necessarily be excellent with their position and anticipation, but at least good enough. Now, when uh, to go back to Sol Campbell again, I, I was covering Arsenal when he made his return and he was obviously nowhere near the sort of player he was first time around. Yeah. Um, but he didn't need to be because you'd see him in the defence. He wouldn't go too far forward. And uh, as soon as the other team kind of broke away, Sol Campbell was in, in their way. And you're like, how did he How did he know? So it's a good place for, for older players. Yeah, especially, yeah. So anticipation and position, just being able to read the game, spot the danger, that would be very key, especially for the older players. Now, wing-backs. I have supporting wing-backs as part of my back four with Newcastle. What are the advantages to just shuffling them one step forward? What can you get out of that? Well, I think in the back in the back four, that would be very risky, unless you've got a, <laughs> an anchor man as well. I think then you can get away with it. With a back five, you've obviously got a little bit more freedom, particularly if we've got our, our ageing aging cover man. Exactly, yeah. That's the key in the back three, the wing-backs. We would always want... A very good wing back. If you've got them both attacking, that basically means you don't need wingers, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. And I think in Football Manager, when you're using a wing back, they tend to be attacking anyway, even if they're unsupportive. Even I've used the defensive role and they still, they tend to get forward, but they pick and choose the moment and they don't tend to go towards the byland or kind of cross from deep. But naturally, I think the wing backs tend to get further forward anyway. And it's all about working. If you're using wingers, it's all about making an effective relationship. But I think wing-backs are always going to be key. The greatest thing, I guess, with the back three is if you shuffle it right, it, it can mean that you, you can have two strikers and often two strikers and a number 10. Um, oh, yes. is, is that the best way to go? Or would you, would you have that block sort of further back to provide more protection? My personal favourite is actually the three-one-four-two or the three-five-two, the Conte formation where you have your sort of DM there, you have your two central midfielders and you have two strikers. For me, I think that just provides excellent balance. Even though naturally you would only have one wide player out on each flank, but then you can have two central midfielders who can then drift out wide. And what roles would you give them on what mentality to make that work? I would definitely go for a more positive mentality. But in midfield, for the central midfielders, you don't necessarily need to have two Mazalas. I'll definitely be looking to have one just so I can have one directly attacking that half space or that channel and then he's been field partner it could be another Mazala or it could be a box-to-box midfielder someone that can still roam around and get over to the flank if need to be 
And then on the wingbacks, there would either be wingbacks on support or wingbacks on attack, just constantly occupying those wide areas. What's the difference between a, a wingback and a complete wingback? Because whenever I've used them, I've always just been like, ramp it up to 11, complete wingback attack. <laughs> I think, the, yeah, the complete wingback, there's hardly any defensive responsibility. The wingback, he still does a job in midfield. He still works hard. He puts in challenges. When you use wingbacks, you would notice they tend to make a lot of tackles. I think they're fairly aggressive in and out of possession, whereas the complete wingback, he likes to roam around. He looks for space, especially if you're on the break as well. So they're useful if you're going on the counter-attack and they're roaming around looking for space. As soon as you win the ball, then they're off. Whereas the wingback, he's more involved in getting back in his defensive shape, making tackles, defending against those wingers. There are a few pitfalls with playing a back three that I've found that generally involve congestion in the middle, particularly if you've got ball-playing centre-backs and a defensive midfielder and then two central midfielders. And I would imagine, I haven't tried it, but inverted wing-backs as well would, would give you a, a huge cluster in, in the middle. Uh, is that something you have to try and avoid? I think cause with the inverted wing-backs, if you don't have wingers, they still look to compensate in the wider areas. But the moment they get the ball or the moment you're in attack, they slowly start to drift inside. But interestingly, when I'm creating tactics, so you have your main tactics slot, then I would create another one. And then I'll start moving players, just visualising my build-up pattern. So when I'm playing out from the back, you intend to instruct your team to play out from the back, from defence. And that usually gets your midfielders to drop. So in a formation like a 3-5-2, I would want at least one central midfielder stretching the opposing team. So I have him like on a Mazala on attack. So he's constantly staying forward. And really when you're playing at the back, it shouldn't really cause any congestion. Players should be in certain different areas of the pitch, kind of creating a... Um, a staggered positioning in midfield and that should allow you to play out from the back easily. Now when you're putting all this stuff together you know you, you have an idea as you're letting them play through on the system if it goes wrong how do you diagnose what has gone wrong and um, and what you need to do to put it back together because that's I think that's generally the the brick wall that a lot of people run up against. It's a brick wall I run up against as well but I tend to look for just disconnection so for an example if I constantly get caught on the counter-attack I'll start to look into why we're losing the ball in certain areas during our attack. Or are we creating passing angles to stop losing the ball? And why can't we counter-press effectively to win the ball back after losing it? So it's all about just looking for repeating patterns. It's going to be completely impossible to stop getting caught in the counter-attack. But it's all about just finding repeating patterns. If you see something constantly happening, it's just finding out ways and solutions, tweaks to stop those bad habits from happening. And I kind of do that with all formations, all tactics. If something keeps happening, if I keep getting caught, I start looking into why, because it could be just a tweak in a player role, or maybe where the tempo's too high, and then that can kind of solve itself. All right, well, we go back to uh, two kind of cast iron tips for every version of the game. Don't only watch key highlights, yes. because key highlights will only show you like goals and nearly goals. Exactly, yeah. You want extended highlights, don't you, at the minimum? When I'm creating tactics, I definitely use extended highlights, especially at the start for the first 15 games. It's definitely key. You just have to see what's going on. The other thing being that you never see your defenders doing well. You only see them doing badly. So you, you, you might do some rather drastic things. Uh, and, and the other thing that I always find helps is just press pause. Like, as soon as you get the ball, press pause and then say, well, if I was him, where are my passing options? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is... One reason why I use 2D a lot as well when I'm creating tactics. Oh, I love 2D. Because you, you basically, yeah, you can see everything. I love it as well. You could just see everything. <laughs> and as soon as something, as soon as play's happening, 
you just pause certain moments and she's looking at your shape and you're thinking, well, I'm expecting this player to move in a certain way. You press play. If he doesn't move in a certain way, then you just kind of have to figure out why that's why he's not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And then have him melted down for glue. <laughs> RDF Tactics, thank you so much for that. Um, if you're, you're listening to this and you're like me and you never really use a back three, give it a go and, and let us know what you thought. Let us know what worked and what didn't work. Where can we find more of your stuff? Well, you can find me on YouTube as RDF Tactics, Twitter as RDF Tactics as well, and also on Twitch where I'm streaming as RDF Tactics there as well. There you go. There's a, there's a continuing theme for you there. It should make it easy to remember. Thank you so much for coming on. That was your second appearance. So uh, acquaintance of the show, you are one step away from getting the VIP bathroom key. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. It's more than a score with live score. Legends of the game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. And... Because we've been doing it for so many years, we've made a few memories. Welcome to Legends of the Game. And I can only start with one of my favourites, can I? Because, yeah, no, I'm pulling rank. We're going all the way back to 2001 and to a young defender at lowly Cheltenham Town. He's Mike Duff, and he's only the right back that Gary Neville could have been. Duff was 23 at the start of this game, just about the age where you cease to be a prospect and just become a player. His passing was limited, his heading was limited, he couldn't really dribble and he couldn't really cross. In the modern game, might not have made it. But here, in 2001, he was a god. When he tackled you, you stayed tackled. When he marked you, he often went home with you. He had the pace of an Olympic sprinter and the stamina of a marathon runner. He had determination, work rate, teamwork, and on this game, that meant consistently high ratings regardless of his level. If you signed Mike Duff in the third division, he'd lead you to the second. If you signed him for Manchester United, you'd play him in the Champions League. You bought him at 23, you didn't ever have to think about the right-back position again until he was 33. And real life, of course, his career wasn't quite as spectacular, but he had a very good innings nonetheless. Mike stayed at Cheltenham until 2004 and then moved to Burnley, where he would finally play Premier League football in 2009 and then again in 2014. He played for Northern Ireland 24 times and retired in 2016, having been a part of a promotion-winning Burnley side for the third time. But then something lovely happened. Duff was appointed as manager of Cheltenham Town. He got them promoted as well, lifting them into League One in 2021, where they look entirely comfortable in mid-table. And who knows, if Sean Dyche was ever to leave Burnley, well, perhaps they might consider Duff the perfect replacement. But for now, it's enough to know that Mike Duff, the 23-year-old right-back with all the 20s, is a legend of the game. 
That was It's More Than A Score with LiveScore Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the LiveScore app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. The Football Manager Show is, as you know, sponsored by LiveScore, but it's made by The Athletic. And why should you subscribe to The Athletic? Because someone's got to pay for Wordle. No, because it's the home of the best sports journalism on the planet. Full stop. And because you listen to this show, if you've never subscribed before, you can get a very special deal. Seriously, it's a really, really special deal right now. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Do it today. Oh, me lads, you should have seen us gunning. Passing the folks along the road just as they were standing. All the lads and lasses there, all the smiling faces, gathered along the Scotswood Road to see the bleeding races. Yes, after 54 years of hurt, Newcastle United are in a cup final and one step away from exercising whatever the hell it is in that trophy cabinet. And that is my Newcastle inside my laptop, obviously. We've had 30 episodes of the FM Newcastle Challenge. It hasn't always gone well, but we've got a cup final and we're screening it live. So if you want to watch, keep your eye on the at Ian underscore games Twitter feed for more details. We'll be running it there, I think through StreamYard. It'll be on Twitter. It'll be easy to get to, and we'll get it up on YouTube afterwards. Tuesday, March 1st, 5 p.m. GMT. I really hope this goes better than the last time we did this, when real-life Cherno Samba came to the office to be my assistant manager, made me drop Zlatan Ibrahimovic so that he could play, and we lost 2-0. And that is actually a true story. So come along, support the lads, and who knows, you might just get to see a middle-aged man cry, which is something that uh, producer Steve, you've seen several times already today. I have to say, having had the privilege of watching you manage Newcastle in the flesh today, I can say it's a treat and people should definitely tune in, If even if it's just for the agony, the emotional roller coaster that you go through um, yeah you will get entertainment you know newcastle <laughs> may not win it's liverpool's strong team but you will be entertained so i should warn anyone listening that if you are one of those people who just wants to see things when they appear in the right order spoiler alert we're going to talk about the games that i've literally just finished playing that are in the episode that will be out on Friday, so about a day from now. So if you don't want to know, you should probably just turn off right now. And if you're still here, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was quite a traumatic month that you've just witnessed there, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, it's sort of, I can, you know, reading the articles going along, I can actually see the sort of machinations your head goes through playing out live in front of me with with that sort of run of form it was I mean you going into the month it was tricky wasn't it yeah well we haven't lost a game in a really really long time so all I wanted to do was just get through these final four fixtures without the form tumbling off a cliff and without getting any injuries and um, as you saw we made a couple of mistakes that allowed Leicester to beat us and that was our first defeat in months then got completely FM'd by Crystal Palace. Uh, mm. I think the better part of 30 shots and drawing only one all. And then, of course, what do you want when you've had two games without a win? 
you want Manchester UFC, and they put four past me. All the time, these games are coming every three days, so I'm constantly having to rotate. And by the time I get to the final game, Brighton, which I absolutely cannot fail to win because you do not want to go into a cup final off the back of four games without a win. And I have to play pretty much a reserve side, not because it's, you know, the the old days where you play a reserve side, get fined 30 grand by the FA and then go off to the (laughs) cup final, but because everyone is now completely out of shape. And I'm very, very pleased to say that we beat Brighton 2-1. It was a comfortable 2-1 as well. It doesn't sound it, but uh, Adamola Lookman coming in with two. And that means there are eight days before the cup final. Oh, that's good. At least you've got a bit of a break then physically between those fixtures and the actual game itself. It's the longest break in about 20 games. It's a whole eight days to recover and that God, we need that so hard. <laughs> it's also as well like a good illustration of when you're in the sort of the fog of war, the fog of FM, where like little things like you played Freddie Woodman in your was it under 18s or under twenties, um, which yeah. obviously made him ineligible for the game you were going to rotate him in for. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was moving too quickly and yeah, completely failed to realise that if you played for the under 23s, he couldn't sit on the bench for the senior side. So we had a, a kid on the bench for the Manchester United game, which which wasn't great. But we've we've got there in the end, and the only person who will definitely miss out, as I say this before you know a week of training. The only person who's going to miss out is Alan Sam Maximum with a long-term injury, but everyone else should be okay. Got to be um, whole squad. Wow! And it's well, it's given me the opportunity as well to test out uh, when you go to training your calendar and you want to set up. So you know you might have a, a week of technical or a week of defensive training. Mm. Uh, there is a big match preparation. Oh, which gives oh. you a nice little bit of general training. Um, but there's loads of work on delivery of set pieces, defensive shape, attacking movement, there's match practice, and there's even a penalty shootout session as well. So that is all going to be absolutely perfect. I'm also going to stick him in for a Friday night of extracurricular team bonding, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And they can sleep it off on Saturday and play on Sunday because, you know, they're athletes, they'll be fine. The sort of Brian Clough method that, wasn't that? Didn't When he won, actually, funnily enough, when his Nottingham Forest side won the League Cup, isn't that what they did? Well, the story is that Brian Clough, the, this was when they had Southampton, I think, in the League Cup in the 70s. Clough decided that absolutely everyone was going to get smashed in the hotel room the night before. And, and I've I actually interviewed, I've interviewed quite a lot of those Forest players, but Tony Woodcock said he, he literally called him into a room. The room was filled with drinks. He had the door locked and he was like, right, no one leaves here until all of that is done. And they were absolutely clattered. And at half time in the League Cup final, they were two goals down and looking like they were going to be sick all over the pitch. And apparently all Clough said was, when you get the ball, pass it to someone in a red shirt. Don't think about anything more than that. Just do get the ball, pass it to a red shirt, pass it to a red shirt. Pass. And they came back and they won 3-2. Though it does beg the question how you celebrate when you've had a night before like that but <laughs> you've already sort of celebrated it's the 70s uh, so probably exactly the same way absolutely absolutely i remember reading about that in daniel taylor's book actually i believe in miracles which is well worth a read if you're Ooh, wanting yeah. to learn about that era, that whole nottingham forest era amazing story so you've mentioned the training and the sort of big match preparation i was your opponents at liverpool do i even ask how you fared in the 
first game against them this season? Well, you know what? They're a weird one because I've played them three times and I've drawn every single time. Um, very fortunately in the first game, we're still dealing with the old squad. Um, uh, but we were well worth the, the second one-all draw and we nearly beat them when we played them in the league this season with a nil-nil draw where we were much the better team. So I'm not saying that you know that this is obviously going to be straightforward or anything, but I don't think we need to be overawed. I don't think we need to be scared of them. You never know. You know, you are a different proposition now compared to where you were, as you say, at the start of the season. So who knows? I mean, it's disappointing to see they've got absolutely no injuries whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm just checking their fixtures as we're talking. Um, but they do play in midweek, which is interesting. They will have to play Tottenham four days beforehand, so you never know. I think I might watch that one. Yeah, definitely. So you've been a bit lucky then, haven't you, in terms of the fixture calendar yeah. for this eight-game day rest? Sorry. Gotcha. I'll, I'll definitely I'll, I'll take that. That would be lovely. And that might just give us the edge. I hope it will give us the edge because it would be nice to win something. I've said on the show a couple of times, I haven't actually won anything on Football Manager since... FM 17 and that is partly because I was really really busy running Muddy Knees Media for three years and didn't really have time for Football Manager but you know I, I played a lot of FM 21 never won nothing <laughs> just kept coming second Sunderland yeah. and Marseille I had a season and a half with Aberdeen on FM 22 nothing there this is the Newcastle game I mean it's uh, yeah it feels like there's a lot of pressure on this one absolutely and um, obviously even more pressure because you've, as a sucker for punishment, decided to stream it to however as many people will come along on Tuesday the 1st of March. So where's this going to be? Is this going to be in your lovely kitchen or is it going to be no, I'm, here at I'm, the Athletic? Or? I'm going to come into the office. Uh, JJ Bull's going to be there for a bit of moral support okay. um, and to just, you know, try to try to stop the tears, give me a hug, that kind of thing. <laughs> we'll get straight yeah. into it at five o'clock and it will be streamed you know, directly from the computer. I mean, we we were joking earlier that the state of the results, the one thing you can always be clear on with my football manager games is that there's absolutely no cheating going on because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> nobody would cheat this badly, Steve. Um, absolutely not. Unless you're even worse than... Um uh, prescribed and this is this is you even yeah. with cheating <laughs> yeah this is just a, a kind of very very shrewd bid for borderline competence but no you will you will see it warts and all um no save scumming here we will be straight in and there's definitely no save scumming because if you'll recall the end of last season i missed out in europe by two goals two yeah measly goals which you could have made go away and could have made it, all the hurt go away I really could I really could <laughs> but what can you do so yeah five o'clock Monday get on Twitter you'll find all the links there or you'll find it on YouTube later we've won a game you know the, the lads tails are up they're fit morale is good who knows this this might be it this might be the moment It's time for your letters. You know by now, I'm sure, how to contact us. Uh, I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com is the best way. But I do pop in on Twitter, Ian underscore games. With me in the very same building is producer Steve. How are you? Hello. I'm well. I'm well. This is weird, isn't it? It's lovely, isn't it? London was lovely. very, very busy this morning. Definitely, like definitely. Nothing had ever happened. <laughs> it's actually very refreshing, obviously, to see your wonderful, uh, and I must say quite suntan-looking face, but also not be constantly pestered by gizmo 
when I'm trying to make this the show. So uh, worth pointing out, Gizmo is your cat, and yes, uh, not, not like yes, excellent. Not the gremlin that I fed at mid after midnight. <laughs> who who have we who have we got? Who's written in? Patrice Howe has written in first up, and Patrice says just a quick message to let you know about my Newcastle save. Here we go. Um, at the beginning of the save, I decided not to focus upon strikers, but make sure I solidified the defence, which is I'm sure people who read Ian's articles about the Newcastle challenge will be aware is a big job. So Patrice solved it by bringing in Jules Conde, Declan Rice, Luca Dean and Kieran Trippier. That is a very handy back four, I must say. In attack, I sold Miguel Almiron and brought in Rafinha from Leeds. And I'm very proud to say we finished the season in fourth, securing Champions League football. So he then turned to up front where, and specifically Andrea Bellotti, which of course, again, readers of the Newcastle Challenge will know Ian has a very substantial and understandable man crush on. But in Patrice's universe, Andrea Bellotti chose Liverpool instead. Heartbreaking. But halfway through the following season with Newcastle chasing trophies, look who's handed in a chance to request. Only Andrea Bellotti. So the question is, should I potentially bring him in or should I look elsewhere to rear younger talent for the future? What do you think, Mr McIntosh? Well, first of all, if you've managed to swap Miguel Almiron for Rafinha, then I really need to know how you did that. <laughs> I'm, I'm presuming there's the, there's a bit of an imbalance in the cash because he's absolutely brilliant and Almiron is only sporadically all right. Ultimately, this is your team and it's your decision. And it, it's a tough decision. I will say this, that Andrea Bellotti is the best human being that <laughs> I've ever experienced. He doesn't just score goals. Uh, he fights constantly for every 90 minutes he he makes every player in the team better he makes your working environment better he's a warm and compassionate person <laughs> he's got eyes that make me feel really good about myself I guess a, a comforting handshake and firm firm thighs but he is a model professional as well and you're talking about bringing younger talent up get a mentoring group set up with Bellotti he makes a real tangible difference there as well so in short I would say on balance yeah yeah get him well there we go uh, pretty clear there anyway Louis Walker is next up Louis is also in the middle of a recently started Newcastle save in which he's managed to establish themselves as early title contenders Louis says, as someone who's normally half decent at this game, I have to say that some of the tips in your show have made me even better. So you're helping seasoned campaigners and good players as well, not just the strugglers. I have successfully utilised near post corners, spit, spit, spit housery, and many other tips from your show within this save when they've been required. So thank you. It's made me better. In this save, I often ask my players, particularly my captain Jamal the Cells, to resolve fellow teammate unhappiness by asking him to have a word with said teammate. Can you overuse this feature and will players tire of being asked to front up for you? All right. Well, thank you so much for all the kind words. Uh, Lewis is actually on YouTube uh, with some very nicely produced videos. So you can find him by searching for FM Hermit. And for an answer to his question, we asked Andrew Sinclair at Sports Interactive. And he said, ah, trying to master the art of delegation. On one hand, you're empowering the captain to take a bigger role in finding that perfect team harmony. And on the other, you're leaning on his dressing room influence to clean up your messes. You'll find each time you ask someone to have a word, there will be a reaction to the captain's morale. So you better hope Jamal's better at having a quiet word than he is at keeping clean sheets. <laughs> or else a few too many bad conversations could see his mood fall into the personality equivalent 
of the relegation zone. So there you go. What do you do, Ian? Are you, are you a bit of a back and forth with that? Absolutely not. I'm the manager. I talk to people. I don't delegate that sort of stuff. Yeah, it comes yeah. from me, Johnny on the spot, <laughs> backside and the bacon grinder. <laughs> well, so next up, we've got a Penske Challenge update uh, with Dan Tacon. And Dan says, finally, my time in Mexico has come to an end. Dan managed to win the NACL at the third time of asking, which is the North American Champions League, if you remember from last time. Getting revenge against the Monterey side that beat me in the final of the year before. It wasn't pretty, but I got the 1-0 win I needed to cross off my second Champions League and pack my bags for Sue Won in South Korea. So two down, three more to go. Question for the people at SI I have is that having now left Pumas, they've immediately started selling off players for well below the deals I was knocking back 12 months ago. My South African new-gen striker nearly joined Porto last summer for 45 million, rising to 50. But I managed to hold on to him only for the AI to sell him to Aston Villa for 15 which seems mad. Did he not know how to hike up prices? Because Pumas have dismantled that squad for a fraction of the price compared to what I was bartering up to last summer. So what do SI say? So again, we went to Sports Interactive and Andrew Sinclair said, football trends change over time. And without the unparalleled financial acumen of you at the helm, AI managers and chairmen have been known to make bad decisions. Now, whilst you may have Excel sheets or notes scribbled on the back of old envelopes to remind you of rejected bids, the AI manager's recollection power is limited by how much memory the game can use. This means that for them, they'll use the here and now to make a decision. This includes factors such as the player's current and potential ability, form, length of contract, and all recent transfer fees across the game for similar players. Now, sometimes that means they're asking for silly money for a hot young prospect, or it might mean that they're selling a player for a fraction of what they once got. But this happens in real life as well. Ask Newcastle if they wish they'd cashed in on the Longstaff brothers when they had the chance. Oof, arch. Uh, who else we got? Jordan Doyle is next up, our penultimate letter this episode. Thanks to you, the podcast and the Newcastle articles. This weekend, I picked up FM after a few years away, which is partly what we're here for, right, Ian? Absolutely. Bring the love back. So Jordan's love was reignited. As for years, he's been telling anyone who will listen about his love for FC Vladivostok from FM 18. So it was time to start afresh and attempt the FC Vladivostok journey once again. Jordan does go into more detail, but we just don't have time on the show to read it out. But he very much gets into his saves, just say that much. So last week, Jordan fires up FM22 and heads to Russia's second division. But FC Vladivostok are nowhere to be seen. Uh, I panic, but think they must have gotten promoted. But alas, they weren't there either. A quick Google search makes me discover that the team have disbanded. Because of the pandemic and the financial troubles caused by that, Jordan is distraught because FC Vladivostok are no more. So, Ian, which team should Jordan take over now to satiate his reignited FM desire? Well, welcome back, Jordan, and thanks for the email. I love the fact that you played for so long with Vladivostok and didn't actually do that well, but it didn't <laughs> seem to affect anything. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. What you need is another club in a bit of a crisis, a club fighting a points deduction, um, a, a club that is almost certain to drop out of their division, a, a real rebuilding project. So I suggest you wait until next week when we announce the Derby County Community Challenge. We did this last year with Sunderland. It was horrible. I hated every second of it. And we're going to do it again with Derby County. 
So join us next week. Elias Burke, the Athletics Derby County reporter, he's going to be joining in this as well. Producer Steve is on pain of, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what punishments are available to me, uh, but he's going to put Fiorentina down for a while and play with Derby as well. So join us. I think we've got time for one more. Paul Hardy is our final letter this episode. And Paul says he's managing a creative club save with a club called Wakefield City. Uh, where Paul lives. And Wakefield is only really famous as the centre of the Yorkshire forced rhubarb industry. So we play in a crimson and sea green shirt to look as rhubarb-like as possible. I replaced Halifax Town to create Wakefield City, which randomly meant I kept half of the playing staff. But as a result, I've ended up with no leaders with a capital L and no highly influential players. So, unlike yourself, I wish I could hear more offers from agents for 30-something playmakers and fewer for 19-year-old not quite promising fullbacks. So, Ian, what's the answer for this one? Just hold fire and wait, because when you get these personality vacuums in clubs, well, nature abhors a vacuum, and what you'll find is that the more senior players will suddenly start rising up. A lot depends on their on their leadership stats, obviously, and their personalities. But it'll look a bit weird for now, but give it a couple of months and it'll all sort itself out, just as it would in real life. Well, there you go. That's all the time we've got for letters. If you want to get in touch, it's imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games. And that was the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. Your guest today was YouTube's RDF Tactics. Your producer was Steve Hankey. And I remain your humble and obedient Ian McIntosh. The Athletic.